You're listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Matt Loverin and me, Jim Shamaria. Our goal is to start a conversation about life and leadership in the local church. Welcome back to the Pastoral Calling Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Jim. And we are here with a 20th anniversary extravaganza. 20 years of episodes. 20 Wait, episodes of in episodes. In a year, yeah. In this, one year. Yeah. We told you last time the 20th was coming. It took a little longer than we expected, but sometimes good things come to those who wait. Better late than never. We're happy just to still be in business <laughs> after after 20 episodes in one year. We have a, uh, a new podcast that's risen up to rival us. Not really, but a sister podcast. We'll claim to be a sister. Like a step-cousin step podcast. Step-cousin podcast uh, from Grace Bible College. It's called... Passion and Pursuit. Mm-hmm. I always call it Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Two peas. It's two peas. I have... I'm two peas in a podcast. I've <laughs> <laughs> not listened to it yet, but uh, the first episode is with my good friend, Tommy Prophet. So check that out. It's on iTunes. Passion and Pursuit. Pursuit. So check that out. That's from our friends at Grace Bible College. While many people think that we are a podcast of Grace Bible College, we're not. We are independent. Kind of like the Grace Gospel Fellowship, which we've talked about before. The Grace Gospel Fellowship is our uh, fellowship of churches that we're a part of. It's not a denomination because we're all independent, but there is uh, some structure. So you may remember, I think it was episode two, maybe episode three, we had Frosty Hansen, who is the president of the Grace Gospel Fellowship, on here, and he was talking about how he was going to step down uh, in the near future, and that near future is now here, is now past. The future has passed. Future is now. Yes. And so Frosty is currently in Bolivia, the beautiful country of Bolivia, uh, as a missionary where he served back in the 90s. It's throwback. The 90s are in right now. Everyone's doing what they were doing in the 90s. He's got his Zubaz pants on, hanging out down there. I'm going to start wearing lots of purple and teal. Listening to Chris Cross. I was was thinking about that the other day. Celebration Bible Church, my church, was founded in 1993. Its logo is maroon, which is absolutely a direct result of being born in the early 90s. Maroon Bible Fellowship, same thing. Yeah, maroon, teal, purple. Those were the colors. Anyways. We've talked about this before. (laughs) They, uh, it, it made an impression on us. Anyways, Frosty's down there back in Bolivia. And so that left the GGF without a president. And so after a little bit of a search, they came to uh, find someone to call a new president. They changed the title from president to executive director. And for the last month, uh, a good friend of mine, Matt Amundsen, has been the executive director of the Grace Gospel Fellowship. I could add that he's a good friend of mine, too. Good friend of all of ours, really. He's everyone's friend. Not only is he our friend, he's going to be your friend soon, because sitting right next to me, and you didn't even know this, Radio Land, you were in the presence of Matt Amundsen this whole time, and here he is. Welcome, Matt. Oh, it's great to be with you guys. It's awesome. <laughs> that was uh, an old radio trick. <laughs> I know, he's right there the whole time. <laughs> you just, like, I just, I blew, just up, blew everyone's reality. Yeah. I just walked into the room. We're yeah. glad you're here. Glad to be here. It's uh, it's exciting. Yeah, that's a big deal, stepping into this role. So 
most of our listeners, I think, do know about the Grace Gospel Fellowship because their pastors may be in it, but we do have some that are on the outside. What is the GGF? If somebody asked you, what is the Grace Gospel Fellowship? What would you explain? How would you explain that to them? What is it? Sure. Well, it's it's a fellowship of churches, and uh, some would say it, it acts at times like a denomination, but <clears throat> it's really a fellowship of independent churches uh, that seek to reach um, the world around them with the gospel of God's grace. Uh, you know, some of that uh, uniqueness of mid-acts dispensational theology is certainly a key component, but reaching out to their communities is is another one as well, and uh, loving God, loving people. So, um, and we had churches all around the country. How many are there? Like about 120 to 130. Yeah, all over the world, really. Beyond just the yeah, country. the the vast majority of the churches who are would be affiliated are international. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Some of the effects of GGF. I mean, Grace Ministries International. Which Jeremy Clark we had on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And Things to Come Mission, both of those are active in different parts of the world. So there's really thousands of churches uh, around the world. Yeah. Uh, tell our listening audience maybe a little bit about who you are, where you're from, kind of your background. Sure. Uh, grew up in Seattle at the Shoreline, Shoreline Berean Bible Church. Go Mariners. Hey, go Mariners. That's right. Sounders as well. And Hawks. Um, and Hawks. Yeah. And Storm. <laughs> And storm. Rest in peace. But not Supersonics. Thunder. Yeah, not thunder. <laughs> uh, but grew up at the Berean Church in Seattle with Pastor uh, Vern Schutz and then uh, your dad as well, Jim Shamaria. Uh, Previous podcast guest. Yeah. It's. Uh, I, You're I, joining I, the ranks here, Matt. You're going to soon be somebody that we can say, oh, he was on our podcast. I wonder how many of our guests have actually attended Shoreline Church in Seattle. Yeah. So the high percentage. It's a superpower for sure. Uh, no. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, when we talked about when when my dad, when Jim was on, we talked about like that church is really has built into their DNA this idea of raising up leaders. And I think that's something that's intentional. And so it kind of seems funny and like inbred. But I think as as we think about mission of churches, that's a big part of it is like, how can we be raising up future leaders that can then go serve wherever? Yeah, and I, <clears throat> I think the key was the intentionality. You know, I didn't feel it as much when I was a in youth group yeah. under Tom Drenth. Uh, but I, as I look back, there was definite intentionality in pushing us as, uh, as teenagers to uh, stretch ourselves yeah. uh, beyond what we thought we were capable of. So yeah. I think that's ingrained in everything they do, and they take pride in that, not, not in a bad way. Just mm-hmm. uh, That's something that they see as hugely important. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so you grew up in Seattle. Uh, after you kind of did your thing, you came out here to GBC, right? Yeah, went, went to Grace Bible College. and uh, Where we my, were students together. Yes, uh, those were some checkered days. How long was Matt's hair? What were you both named Matt? How long was your hat? Your my hair, hair was longer, longer than his. Yes, <laughs> considering I didn't have much hair. There was three strands of hair on the top of my head. But other than that, uh, his hair was certainly Charlie longer. Brown? <laughs> yes, yeah, very close to Charlie Brown. Uh, no, I, I met my wife here, Sharon uh, maiden named Cloud, and uh, we just, it was a great experience here at Grace that prepared us uh, for ministry beyond that. We spent uh, eight years in Enumclaw at Northwest Bible Church. Enumclaw, Washington, which yes. is like 
a rural suburb yeah. of Seattle. Do they consider themselves a suburb of Seattle? No, they don't want to have, have anything to do with uh, with Seattle. <laughs> with the liberals in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're at the base of Mount Rainier, so if the mount, if the mountain blows up, they're going to be gone. Um, <laughs> but that's I okay. I picture it as like the Northwest equivalent equivalent of Rivendell. <laughs> Is that too 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 much? Yeah, like a, the horses, right? Maybe. There's a lot of cows in Enumclaw. There are a lot of cows, and it's... Uh, and it smells like there's a lot of cows. Yes, it, yes, it does. <laughs> it's a different environment, but enjoyed my time working with uh, Pastor Scott Myers. How did that go? I mean, you grew up in... He grew up in Kirkland, which is pretty much a, a big suburb of Seattle. How, yeah. What was that transition like, going to a very rural environment, small church, from a fairly big church in a city? Yeah, I think at first it was a little bit frustrating because things move a little bit slower. Uh, but there's there is a sense of community uh, and closeness that I didn't necessarily find living in in that on the east side in Bellevue Kirkland area. So like are you, when you say community, you mean beyond just like the people who go to your church? Yeah. Like you were like the the town of Enumclaw. Yeah, and there's about ten thousand people that live in Enumclaw, and there was a, a closeness. You just almost like uh, the idea of cheers, where you, everybody knows yeah. each other's name. Uh, that was that was uh, something that I really enjoyed about Enumclaw. Maybe you knew too much about people, but at the same right. time, there was a closeness that you wouldn't find, you know, say living in, uh, you know, in the even Bell. in like Grand Rapids or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you'd have to find yourself in a real close close community, which can be hard to break into. Were there a lot of churches in Enumclaw, or are there, there a lot of there, churches? There are quite a few. Um, is that kind of is there like church rivalries or whatever? There's some of that, but I, I think there's a, a strong partnership. Hmm. Uh, the Mormon Church is actually very strong in in Imclaw and uh, out west, but it so it's a different environment, lots of different perspectives, even though not necessarily uh, diversity in ethnicity. Sure, interesting. Okay, so Imclaw, eight years, eight years as there. a youth pastor. Yep. Okay. And then uh, we received the call to come back to uh, Parkside Bible Church in Holland, what, Michigan. What year is that? Uh, that would be uh, 2007. Okay. And uh, served nine years there working with uh, Pastor Rob Renberg and then Pastor Gary Spikerman, uh, working with youth and uh, transitioning to maybe more uh, associate roles uh, as, as time went on, working with families and uh, trying to bring community together in a sense of trying to reach out. Yeah. Now, I know you, you, you've always been a youth pastor, at least in your, your previous two Things, but you've also had a really strong desire for world missions, right? Yeah, yeah, that, and that was uh, early on. I mean, some of that was instilled back at Berean yeah. and uh, going to on Mexico mission trips. So that was one of those things that I wanted to instill in, in Enumclaw and again in Holland. The connection with Costa Rica, with Bolivia, understanding, uh, trying to give our our students a broader perspective so that uh, did, they didn't sense that it was just their little world. Yeah. That there's other people out there that are part of the Well, I remember course. I was in high school youth group at Brian while you were the youth pastor in Enumclaw, I think. And I remember there was a couple guys, Kyle and, and Paul Hawley, and you would take them on these trips to go to, what, you go to Costa Rica maybe? And, mm-hmm. you know, and you, just to, to do that very, very thing. And not only were you doing that, but you were really, I think, mentoring them and kind of showing them this is what you can do as a, as a follower of Jesus. And I thought it was a cool thing. Yeah, I... For me, I had people mentoring me, so I felt like that's something I wanted to pass on yeah. uh, to others as well. So, and, and not just see it as 
our church, but understanding there's there's sister churches out there that we should be connecting with, not just our own right there. Yeah. I think one of the, the, as we talk about us not being a denomination, there's blessings to that in that there is, I think, autonomy and that churches can do what is best for their particular situation in their community without having to cut through any red tape or whatever. But at the same time, it can lead to just too much of a sense of independence and kind of forgetting that we are connected, um, even within the same region, you know, within the same state or whatever, there might be a handful of churches and how are we kind of connecting in that way? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that independence probably back in the day was, you know, you create strength within Mm -hmm. uh, that you could do this, that you could grow your church. But I think we're seeing now much more of a a shift and, and movement towards being connected and interconnected. Yeah. And that need that uh, as we journey through life, through ministry, that we need each other, not just, it's not just a, the relationship with Christ, it's also relationship with others. Right. Seems like a generational dynamic where before you're independent, isolated, provide for yourself, yeah. put yourself up by your bootstraps yeah. as individuals, <clears throat> families, as churches, and now living in the 21st century, we're more starting to see how much we need each other and can benefit from one another's strengths. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even going back to, you're talking about Enumclaw and just kind of that small knit community. I think probably a lot of people who maybe are millennials or in that uh, range of generations would see that as, wow, that sounds really cool. Like that's the type of thing you want. I mean, you hear that all the time around campus here at Grace Bible College is, the students love the community that they find here because it's more than just going to school, but they are, you know, involved in one another's lives. And I think that translates, like Matt said, as a cultural value that as churches we can really embrace. I want to say one of the things that Eddie Gibbs says in Church Morph, uh, he talks about the difference between community, which is maybe what you're talking about, that, that individual sense of identity as a church, and communitas, a sense of a shared experience, a shared struggle, shared suffering, and that we're in this together. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things that you're trying to do with GGF is bring that sense of shared ministry, shared journey, shared struggle together with all of these different churches that are dotted around the country. And that's hard to do because that's not been the mentality for right. the last generation. Yeah, and <laughs> at least some in of that, some areas. Yeah. Some of that, you know, I get uh, prayer requests, different things that come to to me via email or over the phone, and um, it'd be real easy for me just to say, you know, I'm praying for you, but I think that other people need to come and be a part of that, you know, so being able to just send an email out, just communicate with others that there are needs, Uh, whether it's something to celebrate or it's something that might be really painful, uh, and then giving people an actual action step to take, you know, whether that's, here's an address, would you consider sending them a card, uh, which is a lost art uh, today to write anything for that matter. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, here's a, here's an outlet to encourage, you know, an actual step to take. Well, it's that whole thing we've talked about before, the shared experience of when someone can say, hey, I've been there, you know, I've done this, I've got through it, God has seen me through this there comes a deep sense of like, okay, I'm not the first person who's been in this situation and maybe I can make it through, you know? And I think that that's such an important thing. 
as ministry because you know we can feel isolated and pastors especially there's not a lot of people who understand the pastoral experience um it's something that you can't really explain to people Mm -hmm. um and so to be able to share like this is a rough thing that i'm going through and other guys and people to say yeah it is rough (laughs) but uh there's a light at the end of the tunnel i think that's that's important yeah and i I came to that realization just in the last couple of years with uh, my wife going through uh, ovarian cancer yeah. and some of that journey. And I think uh, for me, it was it was an eye opener uh, that that many people were were praying and actually taking interest. Uh, I had a couple guys, a couple friends that would um, just call me up and say, "Let's go out. Let's go out to Applebee's." And we wouldn't sit there and talk about. The cancer. We wouldn't talk about ministry. We would just, just everyday life. Yeah. And I think um, that was an eye opener for me as, as a human, but also as a pastor, where um, we don't often let our our guard down and we don't hmm. allow for others, kind of into our space. So um, how has that, that experience kind of changed the way that you approach ministry? Have you found that kind of creeping in to? Yeah, it's it's a little scarier place because it, most times when you think about ministry and you think about people, you're approaching them from a standpoint of um, not necessarily accomplishing things, but like mm-hmm. I've got my ministry checklist and I want to make sure I check in with so and so and this person and such. But um, I guess to go to a much deeper level beyond the surface, um, understanding that everybody has pain everybody has struggle i think before my wife was uh, before sharon was diagnosed i just assumed that cancer was something that happened to other people right even though i knew statistics showed that right. all of us are affected by it um so for me um it just kind of brought the walls down a little bit um huh. and it was okay to let people in um and Maybe it made it okay for them to let me in as well Hmm. and go beyond just the surface level ministry talk that you, you engage in. Um, I guess that's, you think, is there a place for that for like the, the professional distance that a pastor has with the congregation versus, I mean, it seems like it's a little bit on a, on a continuum of professional like you said checking in for the ministry and everyone kind of knows this is my pastor checking in with me right versus like uh, that mutuality where you do let your guard down and you allow the congregation to to see some of that vulnerability i wonder if we i wonder if we have allowed ourselves to think that there's no place for that um based on you know church growth dynamics or whatever that say, this is how the business needs to be run. The pastor needs to be respected. Pastor needs to have authority, all of that stuff that we've taught ourselves that we can't be vulnerable. You know, we have to have this image or we have to present ourselves as organized and having it all together and knowing what's going on. Um, you know, and, and maybe the, maybe the structures of our churches make that necessary. You know, maybe our churches are so big that we can't, have you know deep relationships with people on a regular basis? I don't know. Well, and I, I, you have to understand some boundaries, and I think you. Well, I know I understand that there's people that when I share something personal, 
they're going to get it or they, yeah. they have a level of sensitivity towards it where maybe the next person isn't. You're not going to open up like that to everyone. No, no. And I don't think that would be healthy. You don't I need think, to. I think there's, uh, every one of us should have, you know, one or two or three that we are able to go to. And whether it's a, an issue of uh, struggle or sin, or it's just an attitude that you're you're harboring, I think you got to have those two or three that you can accountability. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. But I do think it's important for the congregation to see some level of transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, be, some humanity. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, because it. That's, for me, the biggest connection that I see. Like, when I think about the GGF and some of our uh, critical attitudes in the past is that we haven't allowed for that human side to creep in. We, it's easy to be critical of others when we don't know them, whether it's a political viewpoint, um, you know, religious viewpoint, just different perspectives. If we haven't gotten to know that person, I think it's really easy to be critical. But once we do get to know them... I, I don't know. I think it it's a game changer. Uh, not that we have to become accept uh, everything. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like uh, one of my favorite books is uh, John Dixon's "The Best Kept Secret in Christian Mission," which the title sounds stupid and it sounds like one of those like, oh, this is you know the Da Vinci Code or whatever. But it's this brilliant book about evangelism and what that actually looks like in the church. And in that book, he talks about the word tolerance and you know, you say that word and people kind of get their cackles up and say, ah, you liberals and you want to be tolerant about everything or whatever. And true Christianity is not tolerant, all that stuff. But what Dixon says is that in its original meaning, to be tolerant of something is not an acceptance of all viewpoints, but it's a willingness to disagree with someone and still love them and, and still be gracious towards them. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think uh, an important thing is to, be confident in your own beliefs and know what you believe, yet have that completely bathed in graciousness and and yeah, love in that way. Yeah, I think some of the the closest uh, relationships I've had with, say, students over the years, it's been because of we had a respect for each other's viewpoint, even though we were very different. Yeah, on especially some of the social issues, uh, and yet we had enough respect for each other, and I think. Like he really appreciated that, and I know I appreciated yeah. that common respect. And I think if we can have those types of relationships with people where the common ground is respect, mm-hmm. um, we don't have to change our ways. We don't have to succumb to compromise, whatever compromise. Yeah. Um, I think hearing different perspectives is is maybe scary to some, but I think it's healthy. It mm-hmm. allows for sharpening of what we do believe. Like yeah, so. yeah. Sometimes it's reinforcing, too, of, of what you already... Mm-hmm. Okay, so back to your story, right? So youth pastor in Enumclaw, youth pastor in Holland, and then uh, what kind of made you think when you heard that there was an opening, when you heard Frosty was stepping down, um, there was obviously kind of a transition there where you were you had stepped down from your role at Parkside and you were kind of just doing the business thing for a while. What kind of made you think this is something that I'd be interested in in stepping into this role at at the GGF? Well, it certainly wasn't the fact that I that I felt I had it all figured out right. and that I had all the answers to the GGF problems. Um, <laughs> uh, but I. But well, you do, right? 
the Lord does. <laughs> yes, I've got all, all that figured out. No, um, but I do think it's a a general unrest in my own heart. Um, maybe seeing how um, how things could be better, hmm. and um, understanding that my life experiences, my ministry experiences, have prepared me for this. Um, hmm. And some might say, "Well, wait, you're." just a youth pastor. <laughs> and so how does that, how could that prepare you for this big step, this big leap? And the thing is, I've had a lot of different experiences through, through missions, through board involvement, through, um, say a year when we were in a transition as a church where I became in a sense, the, the senior pastor and, uh, preaching opportunities and just this wide spectrum. I think I looked back at that and I just assumed the Lord was preparing me for something, whether it was this or something else, I just felt like all of that uh, was coming into view. All those experiences helped kind of shape that. Um, and for me, it was when I left, uh, when I was in the process of thinking about leaving Parkside, it, it's a hard thing because you, you entrench yourself in, in a community and it's really hard to think about leaving there. But I remember going out, um, took some time to reflect, went out to a... Uh, to a lake, and uh, well, I went to a park, and the park looked pretty lame. I'll be honest; it was like this, uh, <laughs> maybe worst park ever. Um, At least in look. the top ten. Yeah, bottom At least 10. in the top. Bottom ten. Yeah, bottom ten. <laughs> and I just thought, this is Lord, what are you bringing me here for? This is, you know, this is not what I was, what I was looking for. And I said, well, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to take this little trail, and the trail went right by, um, by the freeway. I thought this is getting worse by the minute. This is not very. <laughs> A very reflective time. Um, yeah. Um, and so I just the kept going. Semi-truck. My sound effects are on, on par. Uh, they're they're yeah. very good. I was right up there with the, the rock and roll solo. I've been listening <laughs> to a lot of Furby Home Companions. So. Oh, man. Anyways, you're walking by the freeway. So get, get past the freeway, and I go a little further, and it just comes out to this beautiful view uh, of this lake and the river area and just the trees and everything, and I... And I started immediately thought, you know, Lord, if I hadn't take, taken that step, if I just looked at what my situation was and said, I'm not going to take this step. It just, it doesn't look whatever. It doesn't look appealing. Yeah. Um, if I hadn't taken that step and gone further, I would never realize just what, uh, I guess the Lord had for yeah, me yeah. and something amazing beyond that. So, um, yeah, that was kind of that, uh, that moment where I just, it's like, okay, I'm going to take that step. And for me, it was stepping away at Parkside at the time into nothing. Yeah. Um, saying, Lord, I don't know what you have for me exactly, okay. but let's take that step. And uh, Well, let, I want to talk about this because this was probably a pretty weird transition for you going from basically your identity is I've been a pastor for the last 15 years, 20 years 20 or whatever. Years, yeah. This is all I'm doing. And then, uh, you're working at a coffee shop, like a, a part-time worker at a coffee shop. Like what was that like to go from pastor, you know, shepherd, influencer, companion, all of that stuff to barista. Be, yeah, exactly. Usually it's the opposite. I'm yeah. a barista. <laughs> I want to become a yeah. pastor. What was that like? And barista would be a glorified term uh, for what you were term. doing. Yeah. Well, and especially because not only were you, it, this wasn't like, okay, this is what I'm going to do for a couple years or a couple months. And then I'm going to get into this next pastoral job. 
that's just like what you were doing. You didn't really have that end that end goal. What was that like? Uh, <laughs> it was scary to say the least. I mean, we went really a couple months without working at all hmm. and uh, looking at some options and um, started working at this at this coffee shop and. The reason I pursued it is because of my time in Enumclaw. In Enumclaw, I was not full-time. I was part-time at the church, and then I always had a full-time job on the side. I worked at a golf course, and I basically was in charge of 15 uh, high schoolers. And so there was ministry there. Yeah. I used to have my own youth group. Yeah. And then I got a job at a, at a, uh, a print shop, and that became ministry. You know, just... Being able to pray with people in the public and having that freedom and just being able to... So you did have experience of being in the non-pastoral sector or whatever. Yeah. And and so for me, stepping out, I mean, it certainly made less money and and it was not as as secure as I was being at the church, uh, but it was around people too. And I think for me, that's where I knew the Lord wanted me at a minimum was impacting people, uh, whether it's over a cup of coffee... Uh, or a donut, or whatever it may be, I just looked at that as as an opportunity. And whether that's would have been for six months or mm-hmm. two years, um, I think pastors would be well served in spending some time uh, in maybe the public sector. Mm-hmm. It's easy. I think it gave me a perspective that was much more broad than if I just stay in the church. I, I get one kind of narrow perspective being in the church as opposed to. Well, I get a little better idea of what the community's about. Yeah. You know, what, what drives this, this community. Well, yeah, and, and I always think that there, I'm missing something by the fact that I went right from my schooling, right, to really celebration. I've been at the same church. But it's hard for me to understand, like, what is daily life like for those who don't have a pastoral cycle in their life. Uh, my friend Josh who has a pastoral degree but has always worked in, like he's never been a pastor, has done a really good job of kind of helping me to see that, like this is what the rhythm and this is what the cycle is like for people who are, you know, basically working nine to five and then they want to spend time with their family and then churches on the week, you know, just kind of putting myself in that perspective. Because for us, working in church or working, you know, at a Christian college or whatever, ministry and the life of the community is like 24 seven on our minds. Like that's just kind of who we are. That's our identity. That's part of our life and kind of allowing ourselves to think about what does this actually look like on the other side is probably pretty important. Yeah. And I don't think, uh, approaching it, you know, doing it for six months so you can get a better perspective and then go back into your, into your church. I think it's, I almost look at it moving forward as it'd be important to do, uh, have that piece be a part of your life all the time, hmm. whether that's coaching, uh, you know, community sports team, or it's working a job, uh, volunteering, that kind of thing. I just think it just gives us a, a more broad perspective um, on people and a heart and a heart for the community. Yeah. Hmm. So that's you know, I worked there for for a time. Actually, worked there di- two different stints, and uh, it's. I look at that and I really do treasure the time, even though the job itself is, I don't know, remedial. Um, mundane. Mundane, yeah. Thank you. Hmm. Um, 
I guess I look beyond whatever the job is and say, I've got four or five, six people behind the counter here that I can just do life with and talk with, not to mention the people that are on the other side of the counter that... You can serve. Um, yep. And they come in with pains and, and struggles and, and you see them on their face. Uh, and just, I guess, having enough guts to say, you know, how are you doing today? What's, what's going on? Uh, anything I can be praying about? And to have that freedom where I worked was a benefit as well. And that is pastoral. That is shepherding people and caring for them in that space. And it might not be the four walls of the church, but it is. You said a few times, I look at this group of people and like they are my congregation. They're the people, they're my youth group. They're the ones that I'm caring for. Mm -hmm. And so as a leader, it's on me then to use my gifts of pastoral ministry to to invest in their lives and to come alongside them and to speak truth into their lives. I think it's a really neat perspective that you bring to this current ministry as executive director of the GGF. Um, someone else might not be able to come alongside pastors and challenge them with this need, yeah. this reality of connecting with their communities. Yeah. And I would encourage anybody out there to, um, it may not seem possible, but take a day a week. You know, just to engage in the community somehow. And it's going to maybe look a little different for each person, but um, I think they'll be thankful for that. And maybe engage your family. If you think, I don't have any extra time, maybe it's doing something as a family in the community. You know, I, I don't, I'm not here to say it has to look like this and it has to be black and white, but engage the community in, in, in using your strengths and what, what are some of those passions that people have, you know. It was amazing last night, the city of Wyoming, where we live and where Grace Bible College is situated, they just did an open house for their um, public works. So they open up the garage <laughs> and they they wash all the trucks and you're able to come in and see the ambulance, the fire truck, the police cars, the street sweepers, the, the backhoes, the sewer trucks. They've got displays for like every different department in the whole city. And uh, they provide dinner, which is a hot dog and chips. But <laughs> and, and there's balloons for the kids. There's all kinds of stuff. And there's a lot of people who come out to that. And we're over in the park. And the Little League is happening at the same time. We watched a couple innings of Little League baseball. And, and when you do that, when you go out to engage, it's amazing like the number of families that we saw from the school that we're a part of um, and the connection that you have with people you might not even realize where your community is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a simple way. That's not a, a job that, that holds you down. That's just right. Looking for opportunities. Um, and I think the church needs to do a better job in, in, in repairing the reputation that we have as being pretty independent, autonomous. We're inside the building. We don't venture out very much. So I think if a pastor does it, it also sets the, the tone for the rest of the congregation to say, it's important. I think it's kind of a throwback to the old school and the, the parish model, right? Where when there was one church in the neighborhood or one church in the, in the region, that pastor was a community figure. And it's not like the pastor was there to, you know, force his political views on whatever, but he was just a part of, of that community. And people knew that this was a 
respected person and a trusted person and someone they could come to and they were just known and that that's i think an important thing one of the ways that i not saying that this is you know anything special about me but one of the ways that i've always tried to do this is one day a week i try to work out of my office in a coffee shop or something and there was a while uh when i kind of was functioning in as the uh the the pseudo chaplain of the coffee shop I, I go to just because people knew that I was a pastor there and we would talk about spiritual things and we'd talk about issues that they were going through and and just by being there and being the pastor of the coffee shop. And so that's just one way that people, you know, if, if pastors can't work a part-time job or whatever, maybe just go find a place and make it your place that you go to and you work on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just brings humanity to the situation instead of just, you know, political viewpoints and um, doctrine and and everything else. There's actually a face. There's there's skin to it. Yeah. And uh, it makes you much more approachable. Yeah. Than if you just sit in your desk at church. Well, I think it makes the gospel more approachable, too, because it's like Mm -hmm. this is, you know, this is the thing that is propelling this person, you know. People might not. Uh, know or appreciate the term, but this is what incarnational ministry is. It's becoming Christ into the community, hands and feet of Christ, mm-hmm. being the presence of God in these communities where people who might not come into the church on their own volition or take the time on Sunday, but if you go out to them and meet them there, then they have this encounter with God through you. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, one of the things we like to ask all our guests is, what are you reading or what have you read that you think would be an encouragement to our listening audience out there? Yeah, I went uh, I went away for a week in Costa Rica, a little bit of vacation time, and uh, told myself I wasn't going to do work, but uh, I also find those times to be uh, beneficial for reading. And so I read a couple books during that time that... Uh, really been helpful. One is Growing Young. Um, lead author in that is Kara Powell, along with two other authors that uh, a lot of youth ministry, but a lot of uh, focus on how our uh, churches need to be thinking younger and growing younger and giving um, giving the keys to the car to the younger generation and, and things that are actual uh, actually tangible uh, for our our, uh, our kids and also a challenge. So I think that was a, that was a helpful book, Growing Young, and then Stride Towards Freedom, which is uh, written by Martin Luther King Jr. And as uh, as a father to um, an African daughter, uh, I wanted to have a little more uh, perspective and understanding, um, a little bit of what uh, what happened in uh, some of the civil rights times and how that relates to ministry today even. And so just understanding some of the community that they had, the closeness um, that they had that, that we really miss out on. It uh, feels like we're all just disjointed and coming in from different perspectives. So that was, uh, that was a helpful book uh, for me to see in general. So the communal dynamics of that quest for civil rights and the way that brought people together. Yeah, and uh, through struggle, certainly. Through yeah. a lot of pain that we can't really, we certainly can't understand. Um, but I think how important it was that they did come together. If they hadn't, and they'd just been, uh, say, hundreds of and thousands of people, individuals, 
they wouldn't have been able to accomplish what they accomplished in in that time. Sense of solidarity, yeah, that you can bring to hopefully trying to unite all of these different churches and church experiences together. Yeah. And well, and there was there was a concerted effort where they would meet together in churches and and develop a plan for how they were going to communicate and how they were going to reach the community. Um, and I just I think we're we're missing out on that. We don't have enough of those conversations about sure. how are we going to reach the blocks around us. Um, I think maybe a pastor has that perspective and maybe a couple board members sprinkled in, but I think how important it is that, that a, a church and a community get in, get engaged in that. Mm. Awesome. Well, one of the last things we like to ask all our guests is what's the biggest joy for you in ministry? And then what's the, what's the struggle? What's the grind? What's the thing that you say, Oh, I have to do this today. Boy, one of the, uh, one of the things that really excites me, and I've seen it over the last uh, last few months, is the excitement uh, that pastors have when they think about um, growth, whether it's church planting or uh, you know revitalizing their church. I think there's a sense right now that um, this is possible. There is there is hope for their church, and, and for me that excites me. When pastors get excited. When churches are like engaged and they are actively seeking out the community, uh, you know that excites me. It excites me that they want to be the hands and feet of Christ. Um, you know, not just go through the motions, which I know some of our churches are struggling with, very much so. Uh, but it seems like more and more are coming out of the, the woodwork, excited for what could be for their church, for their community, their region understanding uh, that there's more than just themselves in this picture. Struggle-wise, I'll be honest, sometimes, uh, you know, being in the office, and I know there's a lot of things that that uh, go into um, being in this position or being in a pastoral position and a lot of administrative, and those are things that are important. They have to be done. Uh, but I want to be able to get out and, and talk to people and uh, do life. So I think that's uh, a necessary struggle that we, we all have to do administrative things. At Notre Dame, we would call that a deep tension. <laughs> Those things are deeply in tension with one another. Yes. I would agree with that. Yeah. That's a fair assessment. And it, um, it has to be there. You have to get things signed and papers done. And it's all part of it. Um, and it's all beneficial. But I know for me, getting out, talking to people... Uh, checking out new opportunities, you know, that that's energizing. So those two are necessary, but mm. that's probably the biggest uh, biggest grind. And I think the other aspect is trying to balance having a young family too. Sure. You know, and how's that going to look um, as we look to travel, as we look to minister to churches? And I think that's why we want to get as many people involved regionally and nationally. So it's not just me. You know that, that this really is a team effort that we um, cultivate, and um, really, in a sense, kind of like making disciples and make disciples. It's not all just a one-man show. Um, you know that we're incorporating others into the. Yeah, into you've got to you've got to model that as you teach it and communicate that we're in this together, um, but also like convince other people that that's the way to go as well 
Yeah. But I think if bringing people along for the, I don't want to say for the ride, uh, but whether it's to meetings. You can say that on this particular podcast. Oh, yeah. If I went out and just did things by myself, I can accomplish them. I might be even more, um, I don't know if. No, efficient isn't the right word. Productive. productive. You could have more to show for it, maybe. But Sure. But when I've brought people along uh, on a regional meeting or to be a part of a church plant discussion, uh, you, you know, it can be messy. But you bring in different perspectives, and then you're engaging them. They're getting excited. And who knows? Maybe they're going to go on and uh, tell somebody else about it and get them excited. Right. So you're looking for the long-term fruit of it, not necessarily a short term yeah and I think that's why I like being an executive director uh, there's a directing aspect to it as opposed to president maybe where it feels like he has to do everything it's more like let's let's empower let's equip people to go out and do it not so I get out of doing it um, but I know it can be more, much more effective if I allow others to be a part of that as well and then there's teamwork and I think that sends a message to all of our churches that the importance of you know doing things together well that's awesome I love your vision for the ministry I love your compassionate heart for people and I am excited to see what God does with you in this position and as you lead um, just super excited to be partners with you in the gospel hmm. thanks Matt uh, has certainly appreciated your uh, your partnership over the years and, and going back many years and uh, look forward to many years working together and others as well. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jim. You've been listening to the Pastoral Calling Podcast with Jim Shamaria and me, Matt Loverin. Join us every two weeks as we start a new conversation about life and leadership in the local church. If you like us, make sure you follow us on SoundCloud or on iTunes, and also tell all your friends so they can join the conversation.